0: Communist China's blatant intrusion into U.S. airspace is a sign that China is preparing to invade Taiwan. Only clear American military strength and resolve can prevent war. But President Biden, compromised by the CCP, is showing weakness. War may be much closer than you think. Plus, in our Behind the headline segment, J.D. Vance calls on the EPA administrator to drink the water in East Palestine, Ohio. A transgender clinic gives insane advice to a fifth-grade teacher in Missouri. And John Fetterman checks himself into a hospital. I'm Doug Wardlow, and this is Founding Principles.
1: It is time to go on offense. This is Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow.
0: The Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, led by President Xi Jinping, is the greatest force for evil in the world, and it is laser-focused on invading the free and prosperous island of Taiwan. The CCP understands that the United States military and the U.S.-supplied Taiwanese military are the only things standing in the way of the CCP absorbing Taiwan into communist China. Lately, the CCP has been testing the United States. The communist Chinese have been testing the Biden administration, and they are unfortunately discovering that President Biden is every bit as weak as they suspected. That's what the Chinese spy balloon was all about, testing the United States' resolve and response in addition to gathering intelligence about our defenses. The Chinese spy balloon was shot down on February 4th. It passed slowly over Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana. That's a very significant base because it's where one-third of our land-based intercontinental ballistic missiles are located. Most of the rest of our ICBMs are located at two other Air Force bases, one near Cheyenne, Wyoming, and one near Minot, North Dakota. The Chinese spy balloon flew near both of those bases as well. It also flew pretty close to Offutt Air Force Base, just south of Omaha, Nebraska. That's where U.S. Strategic Command is located. Strategic command controls our nuclear arsenal. China insists that the 200-foot balloon was just a civilian research balloon that straight off course. Well, it's very interesting that it straight off course right over all those significant military sites. We know for a fact, however, that the balloon was carrying surveillance equipment and multiple antennas for collecting signals intelligence. Clearly, the CCP is preparing for hostilities. When those hostilities will come, we don't know, but the CCP is preparing. And the CCP is also testing Joe Biden. Not surprisingly, Joe Biden failed the test, allowing the Chinese spy balloon to traverse the entire country before belatedly shooting it down over the ocean off the coast of the Carolinas. In remarks he made from the White House, Biden claimed that he acted to protect America. Let's watch.
1: When one of these high-altitude surveillance balloons entered our airspace over the continental United States earlier in the month, I gave the order to shoot it down as soon as it would be safe to do so. The military advised against shooting it down over land because of the sheer size of it. It was the size of multiple school buses and opposed the risk to people on the ground if it was shot down where people lived. Instead, we tracked it closely, we analyzed its capabilities, and we learned more about how it operates. Because we knew its path, we were able to protect sensitive sites against collection. We waited until it was safely over water, which would not only protect civilians but also enable us to recover substantial components for further analysts for, for for further analytics. And then we shot it down, sending a clear message, clear message. The violation of our sovereignty is unacceptable. We'll act to protect our country, and we did.
0: All of that was just absolutely absurd. Contrary to what Biden said, shooting down an enemy surveillance craft after it completes its mission does not send the message that a violation of sovereignty is unacceptable. It sends the message that hostile countries can violate our airspace and spy on our military capabilities without consequence. Indeed, the CCP's deliberate, in-your-face violation of American airspace strongly suggests that Xi Jinping is not deterred by American strength. The CCP views Biden and Biden's America as weak. It is very clear that Joe Biden does not scare President Xi. And that's very bad news, because President for Life Xi Jinping has been preparing the PRC for war for quite some time. He has been building up troops in the provinces nearest Taiwan. He has been regularly sending Chinese fighter jets into Taiwan's airspace. And at the CCP's 20th National Congress last fall, Xi appointed what he calls his War Cabinet. Xi Jinping has staked his legacy on retaking Taiwan, even though the People's Republic of China has never possessed Taiwan and has no rightful claim to the island whatsoever. American military planners are well aware of just how imminent the threat of invasion truly is. According to the Financial Times, Admiral Mike Gilday, U.S. Chief of Naval Operations, recently warned that the United States should be prepared for the possibility that China could invade Taiwan before 2024. You heard that correctly. The head of the United States Navy thinks China could invade Taiwan this year. Another admiral told Congress last year that he believes the invasion could take place before 2027. The United Kingdom is also concerned about an imminent CCP invasion of Taiwan. According to a very recent report, officials in the United Kingdom are now busy preparing for the economic fallout that will occur in the event that the PRC invades Taiwan. Great Britain is reportedly war-gaming multiple scenarios, trying to figure out how the West can deal with being cut off from microchips and other important items manufactured in Taiwan. All signs are pointing to the reality that we may be only months away from an invasion of Taiwan, an island that is home to a free and prosperous people numbering near 24 million, living under a freely elected Republican form of government. It's also the island that is critical to the American economy and the survival of the West in general. Taiwan produces 65% of the world's microchips and 90% of the world's advanced chips. Of course, Invading Taiwan doesn't really make a lot of sense for the People's Republic of China, at least from a rational point of view. The CCP is facing huge problems at home, including a faltering economy and widespread unrest. The economic fallout to the PRC from invading Taiwan would be enormous. Most of China's export markets would likely be cut off, and that could send China's already weak economy into a downward spiral. And if the Chinese economy completely fails, that could prompt major uprisings and even the overthrow of the CCP. And the only thing that the CCP has ever cared about is holding on to power. But the belligerent behavior of the CCP suggests that they believe that they are already on the verge of economic disaster, and that they are already losing their grip on power, and that changes the calculus for the CCP significantly. And the facts on the ground show that unrest in China and public dissatisfaction with the evil, repressive, and brutal CCP regime is indeed growing. Most recently, thousands of elderly people in Wuhan, the home of COVID-19 and the Wuhan Institute of Virology in central China, took to the streets to protest the Communist Party's proposal to dramatically reduce healthcare benefits, an attempt by the CCP to cut healthcare costs after spending enormous amounts of money on COVID lockdowns and testing. Take a look at this video of one of the protests. A similar protest broke out in the northern Chinese city of Dalian on Wednesday, leading to several clashes with police. Of course, the CCP has been working hard to suppress all reporting and all video evidence of any of these protests, but they haven't been entirely successful. The protests being led by elderly Chinese are being called the White Hair Movement. They demonstrate that the Chinese people are increasingly dissatisfied with CCP rule and increasingly willing to to voice that dissent. The white Hair movement protests come on the heels of the white paper revolution protests late last year, protests that were sparked by a fire in an apartment building in the northwestern province of Xinjiang that claimed the lives of 10 people in the middle of a COVID lockdown. During lockdowns, the CCP had been physically locking people into their homes, sometimes welding apartment doors shut. They had been restricting movement, and it is pretty clear that the evacuation of the burning apartment building in Xinjiang was slowed as a result of lockdown measures that were in place at the time. And the deaths of those 10 innocent people in that building sparked a large fire of protests nationwide that lasted for many, many days. Those protests were significant for another reason. The people involved did something that protesters in China never do for fear of their very lives. They called for the resignation of Chinese President Xi Jinping, and even more significantly, they openly called for the downfall of the CCP regime itself. Let's watch just a bit. Xi Jinping! Xi Jinping! Xi
1: Jinping! Xi Jinping!
0: Now, the fuel for all these protests has been present for a long time. The economic downturn, religious persecution, organ harvesting, the Uyghur genocide, the suppression of speech, the absence of any political freedoms, and the brutality of the illegitimate CCP regime itself are tinders and logs that are ready to burst into flame. Now, fires of protests have broken out all over China, and they are threatening the CCP's grip on power. Just this week, The human rights organization Freedom House published a report documenting over 1,000 acts of protest in China in the second half of 2022 alone. The CCP regime is fighting back, of course. According to Breitbart News, reports out of Wuhan on Wednesday suggest that the CCP is still using COVID lockdown protocols to keep potential protesters from leaving their homes. Just as I said on the show months ago, China's draconian COVID lockdown measures weren't just about COVID. They were really about controlling and suppressing dissent and controlling dissident activity and anti-regime activity. So what does all this turmoil and unrest in mainland China mean for Taiwan and the United States? Well, considering the CCP's main goal is always to hold on to power at all costs, the severe unrest and impending economic catastrophe in mainland China may cause the CCP to direct national attention outside of China's borders and distract from domestic issues by invading Taiwan. The CCP is so beset by domestic problems that it is like a wounded tiger backed into a corner. Everyone knows just how dangerous a wounded tiger can be. It is liable to lash out in desperation. But thankfully, we have President Joe Biden's steady hand on the helm of the ship of state, projecting American confidence and strength across the globe. Just kidding. American military strength and resolve, the knowledge that if the CCP pulls the trigger and invades Taiwan, they will be soundly defeated and humiliated by the might of the United States, That's the only thing that could prevent invasion and war. But what has Joe Biden really been doing? Well, he's been projecting strength. He has not been projecting strength, that's for sure. On the contrary, he's playing right into the CCP's hands. He's showing weakness, refusing to shoot down a spy balloon that flew right over our ICBMs and nuclear strategic command. President Biden should have shot down that balloon over the Aleutian Islands, but he did not. It seems that he didn't want anything to do. He didn't want to do anything that might provoke the CCP. He doesn't want to be confrontational, even when the CCP provokes us by blatantly invading our airspace in order to spy on our military. And then there was Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's planned trip to China, an ill-advised attempt to soften relations with the CCP. The trip had to be canceled when the Chinese spy balloon was discovered in our airspace. But it appears that the Biden administration may have been trying to hide the fact of the Chinese spy balloon's incursion into American airspace from the American people in order to make sure that Blinken could go to China. The Biden administration reportedly knew about the balloon when it took off from China, from Highland Island, and they tracked it as it entered the continental United States. If it hadn't been for civilians in Montana who spotted it and a local paper that reported on it, the Biden administration, they would not have said a word about it. For the Biden administration, getting along with communist China is more important than stopping aggression from the CCP or preventing war across the Taiwan Strait. So we have to ask, why is that the case? Well, one possible answer, and I think it is the correct answer, is that Joe Biden is compromised. He has been co-opted by the Chinese communists. He and his family have too much to hide in terms of their financial dealings with CC link, CCP-linked people and companies. Let's consider some of the evidence. First, there's the University of Pennsylvania's Penn Biden Center in Washington, D.C., one of the places where classified documents were reportedly discovered. Well, how was the Penn Biden Center funded? Well, UPenn awarded Joe Biden an honorary professorship at the university. Biden reportedly received a million dollars for visiting the campus just nine times between 2017 and 2019. At the same time, in 2017, the University of Pennsylvania reportedly received $16 million from anonymous Chinese donors, in addition to $14.5 million the next year, which is the year that the Penn Biden Center opened. And then there's Hunter Biden and his business dealings with high-level CCP entities and officials. In 2013, Rosemont Seneca Partners, Hunter Biden's investment firm, signed a deal with a subsidiary of a state-owned Chinese bank. That deal formed a joint venture investment fund, Bohai Harvest RST. In other words, Hunter's investment firm created a joint venture where one of the partners was controlled and owned by the Communist Party of China. Hunter held a 10% stake in the joint venture. So Hunter Biden was a joint venture partner with an entity owned and controlled by the CCP, and he was lobbying on behalf of that joint venture. By the way, Hunter Biden was doing all of that during the time when he was living at Joe Biden's Delaware home. And that's the same time frame when classified documents were showing up at that home. And then there's the University of Delaware, home to the Biden Institute. The University of Delaware received more than $6.7 million in anonymous donations from China, including direct funding from the Chinese government after Joe Biden set up the Biden Institute there. Prior to the Biden Institute having been set up there, the university had never disclosed any funding from China at all. But just a year after the Biden Institute opened, anonymous donations from China to the University of Delaware suddenly shot up through the ceiling. What's more, it turns out that the idea for the Biden Institute was hatched by none other than Hunter Biden. And that's according to emails from Hunter's abandoned laptop. And we recently learned the University of Delaware has been searched by the FBI for classified documents. We are still waiting to hear whether the FBI found anything. So it's pretty clear that President Biden has every reason to play nice with the Chinese Communist Party. Unfortunately, President Biden's weakness and failure to stand up to the CCP encourages China to invade Taiwan and endangers our country and its interests. Now is a time when the United States needs to demonstrate its strength and make a show of solidarity with Taiwan. We should impose severe sanctions on the PRC and refuse to even meet with the CCP and its officials unless they give up their ridiculous territorial claims over Taiwan. We should not be trying to chase the CCP down or seek to soften relations. That just shows weakness. And showing weakness in light of everything going on inside China and the CCP's belligerence is an invitation for war. And now it's time for Behind the Headlines. First, before we get to Behind the Headlines, if you appreciate the content that we are providing, please go ahead and like the video, subscribe to the channel, drop a comment down in the comment section. Doing all those things helps us tremendously. So first up today, Senator J.D. Vance of Ohio issued a challenge to EPA Administrator Michael Regan. J.D. Vance said in a speech in Ohio that if the government truly thinks the tap water in East Palestine is safe, then Administrator Michael Regan should drink it. That's a good challenge. As you know, an ecological disaster has overtaken East Palestine, Ohio, following the train derailment and, and massive toxic chemical spill that occurred on February 3rd. It's a story that has not been getting nearly the media attention that it deserves. Several other train derailments and semi-truck crashes have led to toxic chemicals being released in communities in the last few weeks as well, and the media isn't covering those stories really either. To the extent that they are covering those stories, they kind of lump them all together. So they're downplaying everything. But have no fear. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg has the situation under control. Except he doesn't at all. Buttigieg assures us that they're monitoring every situation closely and he tried to minimize the massive ecological disaster in Ohio by explaining that, well, 1,500 train derailments happen every year. Oh, okay, that's inexcusable. It turns out that Pete Buttigieg has zero qualifications to be transportation secretary. He was chosen because of his sexual orientation. So Pete has spent his time calling highways racist and talking about what an exciting time it is to watch Biden's $1.2 trillion infrastructure boondoggle run up the national debt even more. But the truly sad thing is that the rest of the criminally negligent clowns and leftist crazies in the Biden administration, well, they make Pete Buttigieg seem almost competent. Almost, but not quite. Second today, this next story is pretty horrifying, and it comes from the great state of Missouri. The vast majority of Missourians, of course, are good people. They are good, God-fearing patriots. But as with every state in our nation, a number of terrible leftists who uh, reside in the state of Missouri— And perhaps the most despicable are the ones who work at the Washington University Transgender Center in St. Louis. Several clinicians there recently advised a fifth-grade teacher to affirm a group of fifth-grade girls who all claimed to be transgender. Reportedly, one of the girls identified as trans, and then she told her friends about it. And then the next thing you know, several of her friends magically discovered that, hey, look, we're transgender as well. Upon seeking help from supposed medical professionals rather than disabuse these poor children of their delusions the clinicians at the transgender clinic advised the teacher to affirm all of the fifth grade girls newly discovered gender identities apparently the teacher even expressed concern to a clinic staff member that the girls were being socially influenced by their friends but the clinic staff member and the study said that studies positing that quote, social contagion may be responsible for clusters of adolescents adopting transgender identities do not use affirming language and are in his view personally, in his professional and personal opinion, he said, invalid. Hmm. The teacher was told that the best we can do is affirm, validate, and allow for exploration. And then uh, they told the teacher that no harm could possibly happen uh, when you affirm a child's transgender identity. That's all just entirely false wrong and evil, unspeakably wrong, and downright evil. The clinic advised the teacher to indulge the children's delusions. Of course, in this situation, dealing with fifth graders, Delusion isn't really the right word. Kids believe all sorts of wild stuff, and they are, of course, very impressionable. And we shouldn't indulge everything a child says, right? They rely, children, they rely on adults to teach them about the world, to teach them about adult life. More specifically, they rely on us to teach them truth. But truth is not what the kids got from the transgender clinic in St. Louis. Instead, they were encouraged to deny reality. And that is child abuse, plain and simple. We live in a fallen world corrupted by sin. Being a parent and raising kids to grow up to be responsible adults is what we're called to do. Society is counting on us to do better. We can either allow our kids to have litter boxes in school and pretend they can change their identity on a whim, leading children into a life of pain and incongruence with reality, or we can be a serious country that teaches kids about what is true and good and right and productive. The choice is ours. So third and finally today, John Fetterman. Senator from Pennsylvania has checked himself into a hospital hospital for clinical depression. His team released a series of statements that spoke to the deteriorating state of the senator. Now, consider how John Fetterman ended up in the Senate and then in the hospital. The people around him did not care about him enough to tell him that running for Senate after he had suffered from a debilitating stroke was a bad idea. They put their political agenda above regard for their fellow human being. Now, I think a lot of people have some serious misunderstandings about love in general. They don't know how to apply it to others in productive ways. They don't understand what it means to be truly compassionate. Is it compassion to pretend that John Fetterman and Joe Biden are fit to run for national political office? Is it compassion, or love for that matter, to force Senator Fetterman to run in one of the most hotly contested Senate races in the country? Senator Fetterman and Joe Biden need to be allowed to rest and retire and enjoy things in comfort in their last days. Nobody seriously thinks that these men are in peak condition. Far from it. Unfortunately for both of them, people around them are using them as political tools, and that's just cruel. Now Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro will have to pick someone to replace Fetterman in the Senate. So why didn't more voters in Pennsylvania care about Fetterman's health in the 2022 election? Unfortunately, a huge number of Pennsylvanians voted for him just because he was a Democrat. And plenty of fraud exists in Pennsylvania as well, but the harsh reality is that many people didn't know that Fetterman wasn't well, and a lot of other people did know and did not care. So how do we get people to truly care about others more? Well, we need to get people to church. That's really the only answer. You know, Christianity civilized the world. It introduced into the world the idea that we are all made in God's image and that we are all our brothers' keepers. Christianity put an end to gladiatorial games in Rome, it ended slavery, it's why we have orphanages, it's why we have hospitals. We need our nation to give up worship of the self and once again truly care about others. To accomplish that, we'll need a miracle. Fortunately, Jesus is all about miracles. So let's all pray for a revival. Now it's time to answer a question from our audience. Every show, I answer one question submitted by our viewers and listeners. You can email your questions, by the way, to the email address in the description uh, for the show or just drop them into the comment section below. Either way will work. Today, our question comes from Ashley in Glendale, Arizona, who asks, the Democrats used the courts to push abortion on the whole country when they won Roe versus Wade. Is there some lawsuit that conservatives could bring to force the government to protect the unborn? Well, that is an extremely good question, Ashley. The answer is actually yes. There is definitely a legal theory, at least, that is available that could support a lawsuit to protect the unborn. So the 14th Amendment to the Constitution provides that no state shall deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. It also gives Congress the power to enforce the 14th Amendment's guarantees of equal protection and due process on behalf of any person. So the key is here is the definition of pers- person for the purposes of the 14th Amendment. Now, when it overruled Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court also overruled Roe's erroneous holding that the word person in the 14th Amendment does not include the unborn. So Congress could pass a law stating that person in the 14th Amendment includes all human beings, including human beings still in the womb. And then Congress or a court could require all the states to give all persons equal protection of the law, that is, treat all people equally as required by the 14th Amendment by, for example, prohibiting murder of babies in the womb when the state also prohibits homicide after birth. It might be hard to find a plaintiff who has standing to bring this kind of lawsuit, but it wouldn't necessarily be impossible. For example, it might be possible to argue that an expectant father could stand in the shoes of his unborn son or daughter. But in any event, the 14th Amendment gives Congress the power to prohibit abortion in the states in the manner that I just talked about. So let's work hard to elect true pro-life conservatives to Congress and a true pro-life conservative to the White House in 2024. Well, that's all we have for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you appreciate the content we're providing, please go ahead and like the video, subscribe to the channel, drop a comment in the comment section. Doing all those things helps us grow the show and multiply its impact. And be sure to tune in next time for Founding
1: Principles with Doug Wardlow.